Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Research, reporting, industry analysis, information, and tokenomics. Welcome to Thriller Insights. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, it's time for another episode of Thriller Insights. Today is September 21st, 2019. I'm Car Gonzalez, your host, and Bitcoin becomes mainstream on Monday. That's right. On September 23rd, a product designed to remake Bitcoin as a mainstream investment for the world's investment managers will go live. When ICE Futures US, one of the world's largest commodities, opens trading at 8 p.m. tomorrow, which is Sunday, it will offer back daily monthly Bitcoin futures, the first physically delivered cryptocurrency contracts ever traded on a federally regulated exchange. If the exchange works as planned, it will give institutional investors a secure, well-monitored place to trade Bitcoin, the world's most widely used cryptocurrency that in turn could help alleviate the problems with volatility, trustworthiness, and a handful of other more widely adopted giving the asset a major boost in legitimacy. With the back futures endowment funds or brokerage firms, that trade of the contracts will be able to channel their payments and secure a guarantee that their Bitcoin will be delivered through the same ICE clearinghouse that protects settled contracts traded by global oil giants. And this is a long time coming. If you remember, Back debuted with great fanfare on August of 2018, unveiling a group of investors and partners led by ICE have so far invested $182 million. The group included Microsoft's venture capital arm M12, hedge fund Pantera Capital, billionaire money manager Alan Howard, and Starbucks. Of course, the U.S. authorities have deemed Bitcoin a commodity, and hence it falls under the jurisdiction of the CFTC rather than the Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates, that's right, securities. But the CFTC does not currently grant a license to operate spot commodities, markets that trade oil or soybeans or currencies, where the physical commodities are brought and sold instantly for cash. As its name suggests, the CFTC's domain is commodity futures, derivative contracts mandating payment from, say, a refinery to a seller of crude oil for delivery of the fuel at a future date. Currently, Bitcoin futures do trade on the CME, but unlike the back daily and monthly future, these futures aren't used for the purchase and sell physical Bitcoin. The CME futures settle in cash, not Bitcoin tokens, based on the change on a Bitcoin price index that's pulled from the spot market. Outside of those CME futures, cryptocurrencies have been trading on spot markets that aren't classified under federal rules as exchanges, but in most cases hold money transmitter licenses issued by the states in which they're domiciled. Investment firms are clearly less comfortable with the fragmented oversight of these multiple trading venues than the rigorous uniform standards imposed by the CFTC on futures trading. More than 200 crypto platforms dominate trading, each establish their own prices, as a result, Bitcoin doesn't have a definitive centralized price. Now, Back's main selling point was creating a futures contract that trades like a spot contract. By purchasing daily futures, a buyer gets physical Bitcoin delivered to his or her account the same day, just as on a spot exchange. 
The difference is that the back product boasts all the advantages of rigorous CFTC regulation of trading, clearing, and ability use margin for leverage that money managers prize. The backed monthly Bitcoin futures will establish centralized prices extending 12 months into the future. It's likely that backed will soon face plenty of competition, though, because LedgerX and TD Ameritrade backed ErisX, two prominent crypto trading firms have won recognition as fully regulated designated contract markets from the CFTC. They plan to launch contracts that will vie with the BAX contracts and trading physically delivered Bitcoin. So now you're probably wondering what about Bitcoin ETFs or mutual funds from say a Vanguard or a Merrill Lynch? They're unlikely to arrive anytime soon, according to BAX. Since funds holding Bitcoin are securities, not commodities, they would be regulated by the SEC. And that agency has repeatedly told everybody in the entire world that today's Bitcoin trading is not protected by adequate oversight. In particular, the SEC has noted that Bitcoin has no price established by a central exchange. They do. <laughs> it's just not a regulated central exchange, making it difficult to establish reliable quotes for nearly created securities. On the other hand, if backed acquires gigantic volumes, as everybody thinks they could, if this could eventually set a global benchmark price as ICE does now for, say, Brent crude oil. In that scenario, Bitcoin purchased by asset managers on ICE Futures US might pass the SEC's test for packaging Bitcoin into ETFs and mutual funds. So like me, you probably have a ton of questions that you wish back could answer, right? Maybe like, what's going to happen to the price of Bitcoin? Or maybe what do regulators want from the price of Bitcoin? Or maybe how does your cold wallet and warm wallet and cold storage and how does all that work? Well, thank goodness. Adam White from Backed was able to talk about this here recently, a couple months ago, through a kind of Q&A session. Take a listen. The, the honest answer is, I think where we're at right now is trying to make crypto and Bitcoin specifically look and feel like any other contract that institutions are trading. So when we meet with clients, when we meet with regulators, we always start with cotton. Just assume this is cotton. Here's how this fits into our existing market structure, just like cotton. I think one day, though, I hope we get there. And that's where I'm very excited around the like kind of open finance or decentralized finance, because I do think there's probably firms out there that are better positioned to kind of push those products first, uh, more so than we are. So what we're trying to do at Backed is lean into our strengths, which is institutional products that are highly regulated and that kind of fit and feel like any other product. That's where we're going to start, but we certainly would love to get there one day. Um, so we're all talking about institutional money uh, coming into the market, and that's one of the key promise a product like BART is bringing. So I'm wondering, amongst the, the institutional investors, we also know they are very different from each other, right? So maybe without uh, mentioning the names, what type of institutional uh, investors do you see the most interest? Who do you expect to come into the market first? So it's a good question, and we spend a lot of time at Backed thinking about how do we prioritize our, our sales strategy, because all, all clients are not created equal. Um, I would say, certainly, I, I think where we're going to see a lot of the most uptake early on are from the crypto hedge funds. They're already trading this product. Many of them kind of do uh, riskless arbitrage. What they're looking for is that price delta between different markets for a fungible product. So it's our hope that, that we'll have pretty good engagement and onboard those customers. The challenge is many of those crypto hedge funds are not trading regulated futures products. So you have to kind of get them into and onboarded through the system. I would say there's the largely existing, more traditional institutional traders. So asset managers, proprietary uh, trading firms, and kind of traditional hedge funds. Many of those firms are already trading uh, institutional-based futures. 
maybe crypto is something they're already trading as well in the cash market. I think we'll see pretty good uptake and, and they're already knowledgeable of the regulatory structure. And then there's the long tail of um, existing incumbent institutional uh, services. So it could be sovereign wealth funds, it could be more traditional asset managers, pension funds. That is absolutely our hope to unlock that capital, but that is not gonna happen day one. It's probably not gonna happen year one. It's gonna happen over the next couple of years, and it's gonna take a lot of hard work and a lot of putting our heads down and just educating and advocating and answering questions over and over. But I think we are optimistic that slowly but surely we will see that, that kind of third bucket come in too. So Adam, I think you know clearly one of the trends going back to Professor DiMaggio's question, uh, not only at today's panel but everywhere else, is this notion of institutional money coming into crypto uh, or Bitcoin specifically. Just given your experience at Coinbase and now back, can you talk a little bit about what really is different between a institutional product versus a retail? Is it just simply name brand, or are there other things uh, along with it? It's it's a fair question, and and for better or for worse, institutions do not make their purchasing decisions based solely on the technology. Technology needs to be a threshold level where they say, okay, your matching engine's not gonna fall over, I trust that you're safely storing my crypto, I know I can pick up and call a, uh, pick up a phone and call someone if, if something breaks. But there also, for better or for worse, is an, an element of trust and reputation and previous engagement. So what's so powerful about launching the, the physically delivered Bitcoin future with BACT is that BACT is not creating a new exchange. All we're really doing is creating a digital asset custodian that has an internal ledger such that ICE Futures US, one of the, the largest derivative exchanges in the world, can immediately spin up and launch a new contract. And all those customers that are already trading everything else on ICE Futures, one day just see a brand new contract ticker code show up. There's no new technical integration. There's no new, uh, there's very limited onboarding. So for us, it's that ease of use, but also, hey, ICE, we already trade a whole bunch of other products on you, um, and we trust that. I, I do think that's meaningful, and that helps. Uh, just building on that comment, um, what I'm really thinking about is, for ICE, is ICE actually acting as a CCP in this situation? And if so, are you leveraging the same type of FCM model and default waterfall? And if you are, would you actually accept crypto as part of that default waterfall contribution from the clearing members? It's a good question. And we are absolutely using ICE Futures US and ICE Clear US, the clearinghouse and, and the, the exchange that powers all the products. Um, I can't speak specifically yet to how we're doing the waterfall, the guarantee fund, skin in the game, but we are, we are leveraging the existing ICE infrastructure and regulatory licenses to offer this product. This is probably why you're seeing it take longer than hopefully many people in this room, myself included, would like to see for this product to come to market. Because we're not building something brand new from the ground up and kind of walling it off and separating it. We're instead trying to say, how do we integrate and support this just like ICE would for any other product? So we are absolutely using the same model where FCMs act as the, those are the futures commissions merchants. They're kind of like the brokers of the securities world. They're actually onboarding the individual traders. And then ICE Futures and ICE Clear has a relationship with the FCMs to kind of manage intraday margin, variation margin for, for the products. That's exactly what we're doing. Other questions? So if you're physically settled, how do you figure out intraday margins? Because wouldn't that rely on some sort of pricing of the asset? So like, would you then end up just needing to go back to that situation where you have to come up with a price index? So we do have to come up with a risk model. And the risk model effectively says, how much variation margin do we require of customers to put up based on the volatility of this product? 
that is going to be um, some element of, of looking at the cash markets. And we would not have backed and we would not have CME and SIBO products if it wasn't for the cash markets. They play an incredibly important role. This space never gets big enough or important enough to actually register on, on Jeff Sprecher's you know, desk one day and for him to say, let's actually uh, you know, go out and build, build this to bring this uh, asset class um, even more uh, mainstream. So yeah, so what, what ICE does is they take uh, market data from that market data, they kind of sanitize it, they build a risk model from it, and that risk model is what goes in front of regulators and customers and says, here's why we're willing to give X amount of leverage for this product and how you have to kind of continuously top up based on that day's movement. That product itself, though, that price, once it's trading, is only looked at within the back physically delivered future. So we're looking at our market data, but the way in which we create that model to launch on day one absolutely is looking at other exchanges. One last question. Given that you guys are working with a lot of regulators, uh, certainly with ICE being an international exchange, what, are, what is the number one question that the regulators across the globe is pushing back on what, what is going on? Because no one seems to be accepting uh, crypto as a, as a genuine commodity at the moment, apart from uh, blockchain, uh, Bitcoin. So the number one question I think stems from, for better or for worse, Bitcoin's reputational debt is that there's still so many preconceived notions around how people use Bitcoin, that it's only used in darknet markets and that it's this um, you know, bad person's uh, you know, money transfer network. So by far the number one question we get from regulators that we always start with is compliance. How do you actually understand the provenance of Bitcoin moving in and then moving out? Um, how do you understand your customers and what they're doing with it? So a lot of the work I've done early on at BACT is help us design a compliance program from the ground up that takes a lot of, uh, a lot of hard work and understanding kind of blockchain analytics and customer profiles and going, hey, if you look at any Bitcoin, it's almost tainted in, in some uh, level. Just like almost any dollar bill in anyone's wallet is probably used for something that's been nefarious. So we have to work with regulators to say, look, it's not the number of hops that matters. If it was 100 hops ago or 1,000 hops ago on the network, you saw someone potentially move it to an offshore exchange or use it to something that, that was unknown. What you have to look at is the intention and a bunch of other factors. So a lot of the IP, a lot of the kind of, I think, unique um, stuff that BAC's working on is how do you create a compliance program that gets regulators as well as banking partners and institutional clients comfortable trading this asset? And you're probably wondering, Carr, what about Bitcoin and Starbucks? What's happening with that? Well, Bax's partnership with Starbucks has led to speculation that its ultimate goal is to bring Bitcoin into the world of retail payments, something that Kelly Loeffler confirmed. Now, the fat fees paid by merchants are just the kind of target they relish in attacking. Today, consumers around the globe purchase a staggering $25 trillion a year in goods on their credit cards. The players who process the payments, notably the card providers and the bank intermediaries, reportedly charge retailers an average of 2.4 to 2.5% on those purchases. Now, the car companies return part of that in exchange fee and consumers in like some kind of cashback or airline miles or hotel points or whatever. Now, merchants would love to get control of those dollars to design the rewards program themselves. And this is where Starbucks comes in. Instead of loading customers with miles or points that they may never use and may not bind them to the brand, it's likely that retailers will never accept getting paid in Bitcoin. We can make that obviously clear. We've seen that with several other brands try to release their own kind of wallet and pay with Bitcoin. It just doesn't catch on. They want that cash back settlement. But millennials and Gen Xers have shown more enthusiasm for paying in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. 
They're also digital natives, many of whom have never known life without a cell phone in their hands. They're often a lot more comfortable paying with an app than paying with a card if they have one at all. I can totally see. I can totally agree with that. I think any one of us can agree with that. Ultimately, they're hoping to create some kind of back app. That's right. Something that would uh, allow them to pay with their backed wallets. Uh, who knows how it's going to work, but they have developers on staff and that's likely going to launch sometime in the future. First things first, they need to get this moonshot vision that they've been working on for the past 18 to 24 months ready for launch. And once that takes off, well, it's just a matter of time before retail mainstream gets in. If you need to catch up more on back, we have everything in the show notes. We made dozens of episodes here on the subscription podcast over the past three, four months. And I uh, put a link to all of them in the show notes. So make sure to check that out. Also want to mention that we're going to talk about Bitcoin and how Back's launch here on Monday is going to be affected by it. And we also have another thing to look out for on the 27th of September. So stay tuned for that coming up now. So everybody's wondering, right? Everybody's wondering, car, car, you got to tell us what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen here on Monday? I got people calling me. <laughs> it's been a busy weekend, let me tell you. But I'm looking notably at Crypto Bullets chart. I'll put a link to the show notes there so you can check out his charts. He's pretty often right on this. And uh, I think he has a good interpretation of what's going on. I think he kind of left off a couple things. But either way, stellar job, uh, Crypto Bullet. Okay. So right now we are headed towards a dip. I think as we've gone further down this kind of descending triangle, very similar to the one that we had in 2017. And Crypto Bullet shows this here in his chart. It looks like we're going to see, you know, maybe a 2K drop. Now, don't be scared. <laughs> don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Now, this is the same kind of descending triangle that happened in 2017 at the peak of a bull run. And we are, ladies and gentlemen, in a bull run. Don't let anybody else convince you otherwise, because it's just not true. We are in a bull run. There's no reason to be afraid of this dip. If anything, this is going to allow the 200 day moving average to be affected by it. So if you look right now, the 200 day moving average is around 8000 to 9000. It's going up. Uh, you know, a couple hundred dollars per day. Eventually, what's going to happen? We're going to retest this. Bitcoin always retests this, and sometimes it even falls below it. Uh, Crypto Bullet here is projecting that we're going to fall below it, just according to the patterns and wicks that he's seen in 2017. That makes sense. But this dip is an opportunity to buy Bitcoin because that's right. If you look at the price that it could potentially drop to, it's going to be. He's predicting 77 to 50. I don't see it going that low. I could see it falling between. You know, maybe even touching 9K, but I don't know if it's going to go any lower than that. I would say no lower than 8K. I just don't see Bitcoin falling any lower than 8K. I just don't see that happening. I do know that the sentiment around the space right now is that Bitcoin is going to fall 
as soon as the back launches. So look for a fall in Bitcoin price here uh, in the next 24 to 48 hours. That's going to happen. Hopefully you're listening to this on Saturday when I release it. If not, you've probably already seen the effects of it. But Bitcoin will likely fall on backs release. I think everybody in the space has agreed that's going to happen unless Bitcoin does the complete opposite. But according to this chart, it looks very similar to what we're seeing in 2017 at the height of this bull run. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we're in a bull run. Now, let me point out something else that no one else is talking about. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange, that's right, the CME Group posted record numbers in 2019 for its Bitcoin futures trading, showing renewed interest in crypto's largest asset with current trading activity up significantly from August of 2018. Now, year to date, Bitcoin futures are averaging 7,237 contracts per day, which is 132% increase from the same period last year. There's a lot of broad investor interest in cryptocurrency, as well as growing interest in a variety of applications for cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. This is everything that you know and why this market scales and grows. And thanks to CME Group, we've been seeing that. But if there's one kind of thing to notice here, it's that on September 27th, CME futures are set to expire. The last time this happened was in March of 2019. And then what happened in April of 2019? That's right, April bulls run. It went from $3,900 Bitcoin to just over 5K. And then in May, it proceeded to go even higher. And then in June, we saw that major big trend upwards toward 14K. I think we're gonna see that in a shorter expanded. I think probably by the 30th or the 1st of October, we'll see Bitcoin back up over that 10K range and possibly, and what I'm projecting to be a 16K October, eventually we'll retest that 14K. I think that's where we're headed in October and CME futures expiring are gonna attribute to that. Not only that, you will have given back maybe about, I don't know, a few weeks to kind of get its legs kind of settled. And then at that point, we could see Bitcoin make a nice little run. But what we're seeing here is gonna be a dip and that's gonna happen. It, it, I think at this point, it's fairly clear. All data points are showing that. Sentiment in the market is showing that. I'd be very surprised to see Bitcoin run before the 27th. I think if Bitcoin is gonna run, it's gonna happen after the 27th. And again, I think that won't exactly happen until October, maybe October 1st, maybe a day before, who knows. But I will say that's what I'm looking out for. And what I'm doing, honestly, is I think I'm gonna go ahead and sell some of my trading Bitcoin that I've been using, sell some of that and see if I can buy this dip at 7K or maybe 8K. I just don't, I just don't want to miss out on that type of event. I think that even if it fell below 6K, gosh, that would be a wonderful time to buy some Bitcoin, especially since all the data is pointing that it's gonna rise back up almost immediately. We'll see how this transpires, but that's what I'm looking at here for Bitcoin and coin analysis. Now let's get on to future predictions. Now, today on Future Predictions, we are actually looking at somebody else's possible year end prices of top cryptocurrencies. His name is William Magara. He is the author of the book, The Business Blockchain, Promise, Practice and the Application of the Next Internet Technology. And he's kind of sharing his kind of forecast of where he sees possible year end prices. 
And check this out. This is pretty interesting. He has Ethereum priced at $1,000. He has Bitcoin priced at 25 k Now, that's actually a pretty bullish <laughs> prediction right there for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, gosh, man, I was just hoping for a $500 Ethereum by the end of the year. But if it's a 1K Ethereum, I'll take that. Bitcoin at 25 k I find that extremely hard to kind of see. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? He goes on to think that Ethereum Classic will be at $50. We know right now that's priced at six bucks. He has Atom as well, Cosmos, at $20 by the end of the year. That's priced at $3 right now. We've seen it run as high as $7 already this year. So maybe, maybe he has Binance Coin at $50. He has DOT, which is Polkadot's uh, token, at $250. I could possibly see that with the launch of maybe a Coinbase custody, you know, partnership of some sort where they release the coin. He also has EOS at $7, which is kind of weird because EOS is at $6. He has um, Tezos at $2, which is, I guess, maybe a dollar more than it's currently now. He thinks that the total crypto market cap will be at $750 billion which will end up giving Bitcoin dominance at around 55%. And he says at the bottom, this is not trading advice. I'll put a link to his uh, tweet in the uh, newsletter. I do think it's kind of interesting that he has uh, ETC at $50. I could probably see that, but honestly, even at the height of its own bull run in 2017, it literally only got to like 40 bucks and then before it fell off. It was interesting he left off Litecoin, but uh, seeing that it already had its death cross this year, I think he didn't want to take a chance with betting on that. Uh, What do I think everything else? I think the only thing that he did get right and and, uh, something that I've been kind of looking at here lately is this is probably the time where most people who are uh, able to at this point uh, buying alts and then holding on to those alts for this next bull rally that we'll see, especially if if Bitcoin is going to get above 20K here before the next halving in 2020, like a lot lot of people are expecting. I think holding on to some really outstanding alts, and I'm saying outstanding, like they have to be outstanding alts. They can't just be like your one-of-the-mill alts. I don't think we'll see those 2X or even 3X. I'm talking like about, you know, Ethereum, stuff that people actually feel like has a necessity here in the future. Uh, We'll probably do a whole segment on altcoins here on our next episode where I'll I'll dive into more as to which ones I really think will hold some value over time. Again, I think right now, honestly, Bitcoin is the definite crypto you should be buying more of. But if you're somebody who likes to speculate like myself and want to see those 10x, you know, 5x returns, there are some alts out there that I would bet on uh, buying now and holding through this next big bull run and seeing, you know, possibly 5x, 8x, 10x. It's a possibility. Uh, A small little investment could go a long way or you could lose it all. And that's why people don't bet on alts. But if you're somebody like myself, you like to take that risk. Okay. You know, in the early days, people used to ask why the name Thriller. And I used to tell them it's because Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is just that, a thrill ride. You know, we are headed towards one of the best days in Bitcoin's history here on Monday. Um, This is a big deal, a really big deal. This is the biggest thing to happen to Bitcoin since uh, Bitcoin. (laughs) I mean, to think that we are finally federally regulated 
as a commodity is just mind-blowing. If you would have told me this, you know, when I first got into Bitcoin, I would have never believed you. <laughs> I thought it was always going to be internet money that no one wanted. And now we have some of the biggest investment firms, biggest people with holding a ton of fiat currency wanting to pump it into Bitcoin. Yeah, it doesn't get any more bullish than that. Don't be afraid of the drop that will come. Don't be afraid. That is only way to scare off people that have weak hands. So make sure you huddle, make sure you hang on and strap in because it's going to be a thriller. All right, we'll see you next time.